It's great to see you. Welcome back. Mayor, are we on? Are we good to go? Are we broadcasting to full strength? It's like KWWL, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 1320. You know what I'm saying? All right. It may be, it may be more like that. You don't know. Quasi modo genitai Sunday. That's the one after Easter. Like newborn babies. There you go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we've been born anew in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1 3. Almighty and everlasting God, who through the death and resurrection of your Son proclaimed to us the gospel of peace, grant that by the power of his resurrection we may be born again to a living hope and overcome the world through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good to see you. There's a gazillion little things to talk about. First, no class next week. I'm going to be away uh, at Joe Holmes' place for a little thing. They're a little tiny congregation. going to give $5,000 to Spain. So we're going to go down there and talk nice to them. So that's good. Uh, I think, because I'll talk nice to you if you give me $5,000. I mean, it's easy. It's just not... I mean, a, in fact, a, by the way, my offer still stands. You remember that I said if you pay off the mortgage, which is currently $3.5 million. So this is a better deal than you had before. You remember I used to say for $5 million, we will name this church after you. Now it's $3.5 million. If you, if you want this to be St. Karen Crawford Lutheran Church, I mean, put the cash on the table and the tears. I'm sure we can get a vote up for this, okay? St. John is very understanding, the evangelist. He's an understanding man. If he got bumped for three and a half million big ones, he'd feel like, okay, that's all right. So, okay, good. So anyway, don't come next week. Be nice. To, I mean, you can come. You can make French toast or something. I'm just not going to be here. So we just, you know, take a week off because Bukes is away and it just, it's not going to all play out. So, all right, so that's good. Uh, thanks for Easter and this morning. You know, typically, this is called Low Sunday in the Church. It's the lowest attended Sunday. Last Sunday is about the highest attended Sunday in the church, Christian church. This week is the lowest attendance on in the church, but, you know, we were sort of normal. And it was a very happy morning. Thanks for that. Life was good. So it's good to see all you back. Thanks to everybody who worked really hard during the, you know, during the, there were so many, you know, there's a hundred people making everything happen between musicians and, you know, Mary running the machines back there and getting it on the radio and life's good and here we go. And so it's just was a, it's just been a very, very good time. I went to, uh, you know, the Greeks are a week behind us, so I went to Orthodox Good Friday on Friday evening. It was a short service, two hours and 27 minutes. <laughs> Standing. You stand the whole time. So if you, you, know, if you have Orthodox friends, there's, why, why would you have a chair? Only the weak would have to sit down. So uh, it was kind of interesting because there was a bishop there who was doing that. So it was, very, it was interesting because I walked in. No lie, I walked in. They're singing the same litany that we sing. It was just interesting. It was like, you know, there's a famous, uh, in Chicago, a place called Holy Trinity. It's a national smaller place, but it's on the National Registry of uh, Historic Buildings. Um, it's probably, I don't know, 100 years old or something. It's a kind of a famous Chicago place. Anyway, but it was just very interesting to kind of different chant tones, but you know, once you've chanted it, say, 41 times, you're good to go for the next 100. So they use a Psalm 119 just as the opening. You know, it's the longest psalm. That's just the opening salvo is Psalm 119. Then you kind of move on from there. So... Uh, Anyway, it's just very interesting. Uh, if any of you get nervous that we're too high church, I'll give you the address and you can, you know. Until I'm wearing one of those things that looks like a bucket on my head with a little cross with the baby Jesus on the top, you got nothing to worry about, okay? So, uh, you know, we're out marching around the, around the church and in the darkness and the bells are ringing at, at you know, 9 o'clock. I'm thinking, I wonder what the neighbors are thinking. But uh, it's probably good for them to think about something. So, anyway... All right, so not next week. Or what else? The music was great. 
Uh, we should give some money. So, I mean, this makes my heart sing. A couple of things. One is um, Steve Chester, Christopher. Okay, Christopher. So you walk in. It's not intuitive when you look at those mats that are hanging up there um, that that's what people request. You sort of say to yourself, really recycle. The best we can do is tie recycled bags together or blah, blah. But of course, you know, right? Why do we do that? Anybody know? Because you want something to keep people off the ground. But if you give them fabric, as soon as it rains, and heavy, genius, right? So what they ask for is something light and that doesn't soak in the water, right? So you wouldn't think that's what people want. This was about 2009. My Easter sermon was about loving people the way they need to be loved, how Jesus loves Mary Magdalene, and he loves her not the way Jesus, he, he loves her the way he needs to be loved. I was actually thinking about, you know this book, The Five Languages of Love? Yeah, the problem with me is I can never rem remember which language my wife actually is. I'm always like, you're quality. No! So how can you? I mean, it's not in theory, I kind of know how it should happen. But I was actually thinking we should, maybe for the summertime, we should read that book together. Not, I mean, it would be okay if it, like, washed over onto Dave Crawford. You know, Karen said, this is the way I need to love him. That would be great. But I, I wondered if there's an a, application of that to how we, in kind of an extension of what we're doing now, to, to um, talk to other people and, to, to love people the way they need to be loved. In some sense, that's actually what we're trying to do. So anyway, good job, Krista and all the Neshtuba people who are downstairs. If you want to be part of that, if you want to quilt, if you want to help, uh, they come around. I think, you know, I think it's really good tequila and they're smoking cigarettes down there because I found the smoke detector dis disabled in that room. So I, I figured that, I mean, there could be something else happening. They could be burning incense and saying prayers. I just thought the cigarette tequila option was more attractive to most of you. So um, then the other possibility, let's see, well, oh, and then this is, makes me so happy. I'm coming to church this morning, and, you know, I have to stop right before the stops. So I, I stop at the stop sign and the say, it's the same time the BC auto body truck is stopping. Steve Chester's, you know, in his truck, loaded up, pulling his bobcat out to, and, you know, they're on the way to Rochelle. Uh, somebody else wrote me, Pat Braun wrote me, there's a bunch of St. John people out there helping this morning with Lutheran... Um, uh, emergency rescue, thank and you. And, and yesterday, oh, and, and yeah, and you know what was really interesting? On the initial radio stuff, they talked about the Red Cross, Salvation Army, and Lutheran Church Charities. It was remarkable, the, the visibility. So anyway, you put money in the basket, we'll give it to, in some direction. You said? The dogs are there too, yeah, the dogs are away. So anyway, it's, um, put money in there, we'll give it to, we'll, we'll either... There's a range of things we can do. Um, we can help reimburse people's expenses. We can um, give it to Luther Church Charities. We'll figure out. But anyway, it'll go something toward the tornado relief today, okay? We have a connection with St. Paul, um, Rochelle, and that kids Yep, exactly right, yeah. And that's been the place set up for the coordination, is that right? Yeah. Oh, good. All right, fantastic. So it's really nice. And what? Oh, good. All right, so that make, makes me very, very, makes me happy. Karen! So you, you just say pray for your father? Oh, you're thankful for everybody here in terms of your father. So uh, Karen's sister died a few weeks ago. The family, a lot of family from out of town. We hosted the family here. So we, and we have a very good relationship with your dad. Love your dad, and your sister was very nice as well. Uh, who I, so, yeah, anyway. That's good. Yeah, we'll give them our best when you talk to them, okay? We love them. 
All right, let's see if we can uh, let's see if we can finish this bit up. You know, we got about halfway through to, to number eight. Although before I uh, before I get all the way there, I just uh, uh, look look at this thing about it was in the bulletin today. It just kind of it's funny how things kind of work by accident. But um, look at this thing from now and about kindness, because you might have heard there was a it was in the bulletin, but you also I gave you the flat sheet. You might have heard yesterday the Pope declared a year of mercy, this jubilee year of mercy. It's very interesting kind of what's happening. Uh, the, you know, the other thing is I got asked to give the, I got, got asked to be the banquet speaker at the fourth year for the guys who are graduating at Fort Wayne in a couple of weeks. So it's kind of interesting. You sort of think to yourself, you know, what's the thing you should say to guys who are going to go off and be, be pastors? But, you know, this is kind of at the top of the list, this notion of, you know, what happens is, what has a seminar is you take perfectly nice, respectable young guys, and you 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 know how you know how you, you make pate, you know you what you do to the goose, you know you load them up and then you kill them, and that's kind of what their brains look like. They all have really big heads when they come out because they've been force fed by professors for four years, right? I mean, if they, if they were geese, you'd kill them and make pate. You really would. <laughs> so uh, you know, but the problem is you have to you take these very nice people and you. Not now. Part of what you have to do is turn them back into human beings because they've been cloistered for four years, and that can, you know, make you weird. So, uh, sorry, Vicar, wherever you are. So, you know, here's the thing: uh, you got to turn them back. I don't know if it. Can, I don't know if there's blame to be. Although I think blame is an underappreciated virtue, myself, Mr. Crawford. But that's probably a, another conversation. So, um, but this whole notion of, of kindness, and part of it is is. I mean, this is kind of the, the, whole, the whole deal here. In terms of, this is what we've been doing all year, which is in terms of giving a winsome witness. Really what happens is, I mean, the, the knee-jerk reaction of the church, and it's apparently not just Lutherans, if the Pope has to declare a jubilee of your mercy to re-instruct everybody about love, I mean, the knee-jerk reaction is when we bump into people who aren't like us, we need to straighten them out, right? And normally, straightening them out gives them a punch list of all the things they're doing wrong. And if they could just get those things right, then maybe the baby Jesus would have some interest in them. And, of course, you see the baby Jesus has a very different agenda, which is he starts off being kind of calm with people and staying with them and, you know, kind of observes how he might help them and maybe asks a question or two. And he tells them a story that kind of rings true. And, you know, behind all that is this merciful heart of God. It translates itself in different ways. Kindness is one of the virtues. So just, just take a look at this. Um, in some ways now, and it's so prescient. Kindness is a beautiful human attribute. Okay, already you can stop there because in the postmodern world, one of the important things is beauty, right? So kindness, and you can say, you say about people, she's such a beautiful person. It was such a beautiful experience. I mean, it's not just art. It's not just architecture that's beautiful. It's not just music that's beautiful. In some ways, it's people that are beautiful, and it's how people treat each other. So kindness is this wonderful, this beautiful human attribute. And you remember in the church, you know, they didn't say in the early church, see how they judge one another. They said, see how they love one another. The, the weird thing about Christians was that they, they loved not just each other, but then they loved everybody else. They'd bury the bodies that nobody would bury. They'd care for the sick that nobody else would care for. You know, they'd feed people who, instead of just letting them starve to death. This kindness was the thing that defined the church. You even saw it this morning in the reading. Where the, the, interesting, the most interesting thing in that reading is not that they all brought their money and gave everything they had to the church. More interesting than that was, they said, there were no needy people among them. That's a very interesting thing. However it was sorted out, 
everybody was cared for. That's kind of what's behind that, right? Listen to the, listen to the, it was the Acts becomes the old. So, okay, so, you know, we have an Old Testament reading all year long. And now this, this Sunday we don't have the Old Testament reading. We suddenly have an Acts, you know, which is the second half of Luke's gospel. You remember how this was? The scroll was only so long. So kind of the speculation is if you take the 26 chapters of Luke and you wrote it out on a scroll, you'd get to the end. So apparently he wrote a whole scroll full. And then he said, but wait, there's more, right? And the second scroll then became Acts. So in some ways... You know, Luke Acts is just one, one big thing. And you know that because at the beginning, he's like, well, as I was saying, you're like, as you were saying. Oh, yeah, as I was saying in Luke, right? Right? So you have one scroll and then a second scroll. So in a sense, you have, you're reading a gospel for the Old Testament reading. Why do you do that? Well, because you're to see that all the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Christ. So in the Easter season, we read Acts to sort of say, look, the, the story all hangs together. And then you have this beautiful thing where um, you have the gospel where Jesus is breathing on them and telling them that everything is okay. And then you actually see in Acts, just, you know, weeks later, they've all taken it to heart. And it's this, this beautiful thing where they say there wasn't any need among them. Everybody was, everybody was taken care of. That's a, that's a stunning thing to be able to say about your church, right? That's a, that's a beautiful thing to be able to say that. And it's, it's the mark of kindness. It's love. So kindness is this beautiful human attribute. When we say... She's a kind person, or he surely was kind to me. We express a warm feeling. Now, see, here's the thing. This is what we talked about last week and the week before, which is, sure, all sorts of people do live at the level of the intellect. It's a lot of people, a lot of people, but not most people. Many, many more people. This is why you can't understand your kids. I mean, this is the, great, this is the hardest thing about sending kids to college. You know, I say this to my own kids all the time, that the problem with sending your kids to college is their brains get really big, but their hearts often stay the same or shrink, right? So you have these people with really, really big brains. They think very, very clearly, and they can make a reason for, give a reason for almost anything. But because they're deprived of the Eucharist, because nobody goes to church, because they're free and their freedom is exercised in poor ways, what happens is, is that their, their hearts, so your heart is getting smaller and your brain is getting bigger, and then they graduate and you say, you know, no wonder people act the way they do. Now, you can either, you can either, you can either argue with them a lot or tell them they're, they're horrible people or you say, you know, that's not the way we raised you or can't you understand why the world is going to hell or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or you can take another tack, which is apparently what Jesus does, which is he sort of talks to people like, hey, I really love you. How's your life going? Right? Because that's, that's what Jesus does. So you can try it the modern way of kind of arguing people in. And for some people, you do need to have some really good answers. And, you know, I've spent my life thinking about those kinds of answers. The problem is the, it's the smaller percentage of people. It's the smaller percentage of people. And even people who are very smart or like kind of think things through or can give arguments, even those people almost always are first attracted at the level of the heart. There's very few people you run to who say, give me the pure argument. There are some. But most people in human interchange, what they're interested in is whether you're kind to them, whether you include them, whether you love them, whether what you have to say is beautiful, right? Whether what you have to say is mysterious, spiritual, Christological, whether what you have to say is merciful rather than judgment, whether you're marked by saying, look how they love one another as opposed to look how they judge one another. This is the thing to be so careful about this year. And almost every time when I'm done, almost every week, and I think to myself and with my own friends and my own kids and my own family and people I bump into, almost always I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to get over the line where they think that my 
acceptance of them is approval for all things. But if you think about it, okay, to love someone does not mean you agree with everything they do. And to disagree with someone does not mean you have to hate them or hurt them. Now, just sort of, just sort of, just with that grid, you know, take a week as your Easter discipline and just take a, just watch the news. Not only watch what people do, watch how people are characterized. And oftentimes for kind of propaganda purposes in the church, this is one place where the church is hurting because every time the church does something really stupid, there's no end to people who want to point out that the church is really stupid, right? Okay, I get all that. It doesn't change a thing. It does not change a thing. So your acceptance of people, your love of people in advance, as in when they're nailing Jesus to the cross, and he says, I love them. I mean, when he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They haven't thought about what they're doing, right? They, they don't know what, for, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they just, they, their hearts are hard. They kill people all day. That's what they do. You can't kill people all day long and remain a normal human being. You just can't do it, right? So, so how do you get to people like that? You can give them a lecture. You can say, I'm better than you. You can say, you're a horrible person. You could say, the, you're going to straight to hell. You can do that, and that will be the end of your conversation. And you can feel good about that, and you can feel right about that. The problem is nothing changed. So the question that we're after is, how do you draw people into the love of God? And the answer, I think, is you love them, right? And one of the ways that love expresses itself is in kindness, is in warmth toward other people. Um, the brightest people, some of the brightest people are some of the most lonely because they have very, they have a difficult, they have a great difficulty making friends and keeping friends because their, their, their brains are going to a whole different level, right? But what, what, and when, when you say that, what does that mean? That means you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room, but to be the most loving person in the room, that means you can connect with anybody. Because people are not just brain, they're not just intellect, they're not, I should actually be more precise and say they're not just mind, right? We think brain, brain is the organ, mind is, the, is the, the consciousness, the thoughtfulness. People are not just mind, they're not just raw intellect. People have hearts. And most people, sad to say, I mean, well, sad to say, I mean, sad to say if you've gone to seminary and thought that everybody should respond to the things they've jammed into you for four years, you know, most people respond at the level of the heart. Doesn't mean you can't you can not you can't forget about the other stuff. You're going to need that later. It's not always the first thing. Okay, so surely he was kind to me. We express a warm feeling in our competitive and often violent world. Kindness is not the most frequent response. You know more and more how people are evaluated. It's basically I mean it's really just it's raw now in terms of you know money is the only metric. The whole notion that. You work at a company for your whole life or that, you know, company take care of your stick, you know. Good. I mean, my, my own father, I can remember, you know. My, I can remember when I graduated from college in 1979, the prime rate was 21%. My dad had two or three or four people working for him. And I remember in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I can remember when I asked him, there were two housing starts in 1979 in a city of 100,000 people. If you're in the heating and air conditioning business and there are two housing starts, you're not moving a lot of product. And my dad never laid anybody off. It's, it's just kind of fascinating because, you know, that's not what you did. Like, if people worked for you and they were honest, 
you took care of them through thick and through thin, right? That doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anywhere. In fact, mostly when I hear you talk to me about your jobs, what I hear you talk about is how overwrought you are and how, what kind of decisions need to be made because the only thing that matters is billable hours, the, the, the margin at the end of the day. It's a, it's a deep sadness, and it tells you that is ultimately only self-interest, right? So it's a little like, it was so interesting. I don't, you know, I've, I've told you this story. I can't remember what I've told you. When we went to the bank, when we were refinancing our stuff, when everything was in trouble, you know, the world, we never missed a payment at the bank, and yet they kicked us into the bad debts thing on the notion that everybody, everybody, all, all, everybody else that they had that was a nonprofit apparently had gone under except for us. We were the only place that didn't miss a payment. But um, you know, people who were very interested in us didn't want to know us, you know, a month later, a year later. Why? Because if they had to choose between their job and our job, they're going to keep their job. It's, it's, just, it's, it's kind of raw, and it is the way of the world, but you don't have to be that way, and I don't have to be that way. And if you want people to be in the church, and you want people to look at the church and say, this is otherworldly, then guess what? You have to act in an otherworldly way. And chief among the otherworldly things is, for God's will of the world, you know, this notion that God loves people even while they're crucifying him. Father, forgive them means I still love them. Father, forgive them means he's, forgiveness is waiting in advance. Jesus is forgiving people as they're killing him. It's a very, very remarkable thing. But we saw it in the early church, and we want people to see it in us. And when we do it, well, that, that, that's the reason people come. That's the reason people are happy. That's the reason people give each other a lot of slack here. That's the reason things work. It's predominantly about love and not about judgment. There's plenty of judgment in the world. And you and I could muster up judgment on anybody in this room. It would take us about 10 seconds because it comes naturally. Because our judgment primarily comes from our pride. We judge, as Jesus says, not with the mind of God, but with the mind of human beings. Right? So judgment is just natural to us, even though it's a bad judgment. But if you do it inside the church, it all feels the same. Okay, so the whole point of this exercise is to watch what Jesus does, and he doesn't do anything like us. What Jesus does is engage people with love and forgiveness and kindness, and somewhere down the road he says to them, that's really not good for you. Like stealing from people when you're the tax guy, that's really not going to be, you know, being a prostitute, that's, that's really not good. That demon you got, we probably should get that out of there. It's going to be a little like pulling a tooth, but, you know, later better not to have the demons, right? right? So this is, I mean, come on. When we encounter it, we know that we are blessed. It's possible to grow in kindness, to become a kind... Is it possible to grow in kindness and become a kind person? Yes, and then look at this. But it requires discipline. We've been talking about this for years. It's amazing how you bang... It feels, it's so comforting when you bang into this. You know, you're trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, and then you bang into this, you're like... Thank God you can exhale because somebody way smarter than you are has not only figured it out, put it into practice. So what's the discipline that it requires? Christ's scripture, the Eucharist, prayer, you know, tithing and alms, being merciful, giving a good witness. That's the discipline. What are the disciplines? What are the disciplines? Faith, hope, and love. What are the disciplines? Fasting for Lent. Right? You know, so as you as you do those disciplines, they shape you right? So you fast for Lent. Why do you fast for Lent? So that each time you get a little pang for whatever you gave up, you say to yourself, yeah, now why am I doing this? Because it's Lent. What about Lent? Well, it's Jesus. What about Jesus? He's going to the cross for me, and um, he endured such things for me. That's enough. 
That's what the fasting is good for. It jogs your memory. And if you take a long fast through the day, you might think about Jesus ten times that you wouldn't have normally thought about it. That's the point. But isn't it interesting that it comes from the disciplines? You can't just wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be kind. It doesn't work that way. You've got too much junk floating around inside you. You've got to neutralize the junk and create the new good habits. So we go to the Eucharist. What does that do? It forgives us. That's the neutralization, right? And then we say, sing, talk, listen. This is how we treat each other. This is what we do. This is what we are. Not because it hurts us, because it helps us, because it's good for us. Touch holy things. You touch holy things, you become holy. You touch unholy things, they will eat you alive, right? And destroy everything you have, including the relationships with those who are meant to be closest to you. So, I mean, here, this is all, of course, when I'm reading this, this is what I'm thinking, right? So, you know, this is four lines long, and it's taken me 22 minutes to get through it. But the point is, you know, it requires, to be kind is to treat another person as your kin, as a relative. So, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why, the, this is why Scripture talks that way. You're my brothers, you're my sisters, right? I, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers. That's how Paul talks, right? Greet the sisters for me. That's how he talks. You're my kin, we say your kin, or he's next of kin, to be kin is to reach out to someone as being a kindred spirit. Here's the great challenge, so, and that's the point where we are. All people, everybody, all in, everybody, all God's children, everybody's in, nobody's out. All people, whatever their color, religion, or sex, you know, and think of all the iterations and all that, all that goes wrong. You may not exclude. You know why? Because God doesn't exclude. You, you may not hate because God doesn't hate. You may not have enemies because God doesn't have enemies, okay? And when things need to be squared up, ultimately he will square them up. Unless he's put you in a place where you need to square things up, and that's very, very few of us in very, very few circumstances, the Lord will square it up. Now, in saying all that, I'm not cashing in everything we believe. I'm just saying, I'm trying to give you, for you old Lutherans, the law-gospel balance, which is you have enough law just until people know it, sense it, feel it, recognize it. And then after that, whoosh, it's a wash of gospel. John the baptizer, when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, one of the problems is, is we all have this notion that John the baptizer sort of limits it to, you're all going straight to hell unless you do something about it. That is not the gospel because you can't do anything about it. If it's just you're all going straight to hell because, you know, unless you do something about it, that's nothing that we know. And there's no reason to turn around and repent. Repentance is a gospel word. There's no reason to repent unless there's gospel. There's no reason to repent unless you know at the end of the day Jesus is still going to be for you, not against you. Why would you run toward somebody who's going to kill you? Right? They run toward John the baptizer. They run toward Jesus. They run toward Peter on Pentecost. They run toward them because to repent is to say, I'm going to stop trying to do it my own way and I'm very happy to have the Lord take care of it all and beyond that, to bless me with his Holy Spirit so that I can kind of maintain and grow up and do better, right? It's in the formula of concrete stuff. This is straight Lutheran stuff. The other margin comment from the formula of concrete basically says, you can't do anything, but yet, and it's a very great phrase. He says, but one, when, when, when you're forgiven, when you're resurrected, it says the Holy Spirit creates love in you for other people. It's a great phrase. So you don't have it naturally. It's like he breathed into man and man became a living being. That's what happens to you when you become a believer, when you become a Christian, when you're baptized, when you go to the Eucharist, when you hear the gospel. He makes you a new human being. 
the Holy Spirit, a straight formula conquered, straight Lutheran stuff, how it got so screwed up, I have no idea. It actually doesn't matter at this point in my life. What matters to me is that you understand that to be touched by holy things means that the Holy Spirit resurrects you and he gives you a new capacity, a new virtue. He creates, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. What happens to them then? They're able to love and not to judge. Yes, it's important to make judgments. Yes, it's important to know the difference from right from wrong. But if all you ever talk about to people is how wrong they are, change something and then maybe Jesus will love you, is not the gospel, right? This is the gospel. Jesus loves you and he'll change you. First by forgiving your sins, then by giving you his Holy Spirit, then by showing you a new life so you can live the disciplines and in welcome obedience, love other people, you get to play too. That's the gospel, okay? And this is why this is so good. Here's the great challenge. Oh, I'm sorry. To be, uh, uh, here's the great challenge. All people, whatever their color, religion, sex, belong to humankind and are called to be kind to one another, treating, so do it, one another um, as brothers and sisters. So first you see it, right? And then you do it. You see that they belong to one another, then you treat them in this way. There's hardly a day in our lives in which we're not called this. There's not a day in your life when you're not called that. That's what it is to be Christian, okay? Now I'm going to scoot you back to the rest of the story. We've read this story. These two guys are up in the temple. There's one guy who thinks he's all that up toward the front. In fact, he's so all that, I'm going to start around eight and kind of scoot you through here. He knows so much. He does so much. He can't even be with the holy people. So, you know, you've got an altar and a priest and him standing by himself, and he's holier than the holy people and certainly more holy than the other person, right? So uh, this is kind of where we stop. They're in public prayer. And um, when he prays aloud, he uses the opportunity, and you've all had this. I'm sure you've had this. You've gone to a church or you've gone someplace where you feel like you're the guy left out. And you feel like the prayers and the sermon and the actions are always judgment on you. So even when he says, I pray, uh, you know what, I'm really happy about my life. You give me a great life. You know what, what's greatest about my life? I'm not like any of you. That's the greatest thing about my life. Because you stink and I don't. I mean, that's really what he's saying. I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there because I do all this stuff. You see, I got this punch list of things that I do. So I have this life and I do this punch list and because I do this punch list, you love me. And you know what? I don't want to get close to people who aren't on the punch list because something could go wrong. Now you see how this is like, you know, hell is in some sense just being alone. You're on your own, right? So... Um, and I give you this. Apparently, this was a common problem. Hillel, this is at the bottom of the page. I turned after eight. Keep not aloof from the congregation. Trust not yourself until the day of death. And judge not your fellow until you're in this place. Look at this. All three things. So Hillel, who died 10 A.D. So, you know, he dies 10, 20 years ahead of Jesus, roughly. So, uh, suggesting that Paul was Hillel's student. He's the greatest rabbi of the day. He basically says the very same thing that Jesus says, which is, here's the problem. You cut yourself off from other people because you think you're better than everybody else. You trust in yourself, not in God, and you judge other people. Jesus is saying exactly the same thing. So, so interesting. I've turned the page to number nine. And then to ten. So I'm quite better than other people. And these people also are, you know, rogues and swindlers and adulterers, and they're horrible, and, um, and I don't really need those, Right? And so I've given you um, all this stuff under 11. I sort of already yacked through that. 
So all these things that we have, you know, aren't we better than other people? Believe me, uh, you know, there's been, uh, for whatever reason, you know, for, I mean, we have some ideas about this, uh, but for whatever reason, it's been a remarkably joyous thing. And for whatever reason, our attendance is up like 5 or 10% over last year, closer to 10%. I don't know what it'll exactly be like. You know, we have some ideas about this. We're trying to stay in closer contact. We're trying to spider web people together. We've worked with the elders and some other people to kind of, kind of get metrics on ourselves. You know, for whatever reason, you know, um, you know, people are around, and and it's a nice thing. But you know, the death of us will be to take credit for that, right? Um, I think it's because I think it's because of, of many of you, you know, just the environment you could create. I can tell you one place where it's really interesting. I've probably had a, no less than a dozen conversations with people, visitors, over the last two weeks, so through Holy Week and then through this week, where people have said things like, I really, I really like your church, but my congregation, and then fill in the blank about how they fail. I'm just telling you, do not go there. I don't have any interest about, well, I mean, be careful here. What I don't have any interest in is judging another converse, con- congregation or in suggesting I know what's happened in another congregation or why they succeed or fail. Have all the joy you want with all your friends about what's happening here, but don't pursue the congregation, don't pursue the conversations about the failures of other conversations or people's disgruntlement with their home church or their pastor or whatever. Just don't even go there. There's no upside in that conversation. That will only take you down a path of, of horribleness. And so I try to get out of those congregations, or congregations, conversations. I try to get out of those congregations, too. I actually try to get out of those conversations as quickly as I can because we got enough to worry about with our square block, okay? So bring your friends, rejoice in it, have fun, but avoid the conversation about uh, St. John is great and uh, my congregation stinks. It just is, there's just no, there's nowhere to go with that, okay? It just is, it's just not helpful, okay? So I've given you 12 and 13 already, okay? Now what's really interesting is 16, and this is, it's so interesting because of the thing. We're used to saying mea culpa, mea culpa, and it's, you know, occasionally you'll see somebody who will, and this was an ancient way, you know, so when you confess, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my great big fault, right? Beaten on your chest? Really? It's very interesting. Well, Yom Kippur makes exactly the point. Because what's interesting, um, it never occurs in the Old Testament, right? And it's only twice in the New Testament. But this is the posture of women, right? So only women did this. This was a way of, a man would only do this. So Yom Kippur is the perfect fit. Because a man would only do this when it's like over-the-top excessive pain, right? So this is actually a woman's, this is a woman's posture in the church, and when a man does it, it's like, it's like the guy carrying the water on Monday, Thursday. Carrying the water was women's work. How do you know, you know which guy to follow? Follow the guy wearing a dress. That's, he'll stand out, don't worry, right? He's in a tutu. When you see the guy in the tutu, <laughs> follow that guy. It's like, that's, I mean, that's what's happening here. So when this guy is going, you know, it's on me, it's on me, this is the sort of thing. It's like when people come to church. Occasionally you'll see some... Now, there are people who cry every week in church. There's not a week that goes by. And you can ask the guys who serve at the altar. Almost always somebody's crying at church. It's good. Church is the right place to cry, and a lot of people need a good cry. But I'm sure you've all seen... There are times when people come, and they are just beside themselves. Right? 
I mean, they're just weeping. It's that, this is what's happening here. This is the person who doesn't just, you know, tear up a little bit at the Eucharist. This is the person who's like, and everybody's kind of looking like, what do we do, right? That's what's happening here with this guy. So he's like, you know, he's beating on his chest. Uh, he, just, he just sees that he's just broken, right? And then 17, this great realization, and this is the great, and we did this a little bit last week, this great translation. The, the, the raw translation of this is, God, you need to make atonement for me. So, like, I'm broken and there's nothing I can do, which is perfect. Like, this is the perfect, you know, this is, what, this is Lutheran's bread and butter, right? I'm broken and there's nothing I can do. I can do nothing. I'm just destroyed. I'm beside myself, which is when people sitting in the pew crying like that, what they're telling you is, is it's too much. <laughs> the guy whose Greek grandmother used to say every once in a while, it's too much, it's too much. It's like, it's like that. It's like your Greek grandmother going, it's too much. Which means we don't have the resources for this, right? Which is, of course, to be repentant. You're repentant at the point when you say, there's nothing I can do about this. That's why the, the, every once in a while somebody, rebe- not us, but every once in a while somebody come in and kind of rebel against kneeling down and saying, I, a poor, miserable sinner. I can remember in the congregation we were in New Jersey, there's a woman, a very prominent judge. I can remember saying in Bible study once saying, I'm not going to say that confession anymore because I'm not poor and I'm not miserable. Which wasn't that true for her. She was a very well-to-do judge. And she was, you know, I mean, I mean, really, you're missing the point. I mean, you can only be forgiven if you're a sinner. You can only be resurrected if you're dead. There isn't any kind of in-between. You know, it just, that's, that's the, so to be broken like this guy, God, you need to do this because I can't do it. That is the raw gospel-y stuff right there. That is like, man, if you don't resurrect me, I can't be resurrected. If you don't forgive me, I can't be forgiven. And that, of course, is what Jesus is, um, is all about. And, of course, then Jesus puts the big reverse on the story. This is the guy who's got it figured out, and the guy who thinks he's got it figured out uh, is really quite, you know. So I'm all the way at 21 where it's a broken heart is a trusting heart. And uh, humility is, is the way forward, right? So I just, and so just to finish up, just for this particular story, you're going to bump into people who are going to be doing all kinds of things that you wouldn't do. And they're going to be things that you are not, right? But, but shunning, judging, cursing, shaking a finger is rarely the way of Jesus. Predom- yeah, I know that Jonah shows up in Nineveh every once in a while, right? I mean, I get that. I mean, I've read the prophets too. But pre- and Jesus turns over the tables. We read it. But predominantly, predominantly, Jesus' way of moving into people. Everybody else is chaotically sinful. Even this rich guy. I, I know it doesn't look like it, but the guy's life is in chaos. He doesn't know it. He's like the guy who wakes up and has lung cancer, and you know he didn't know that he had it. It's like that. That guy's life is chaotic. His life is chaotic as the other guy's life is chaotic. They just, their presenting symptoms are different, right? So what does Jesus do? Everybody's crazy? What is Jesus? Everybody's crazy? We did this three or four years ago when Mark was the, was the for week after week, we looked about how everybody was crazy. The seas are going, people are demon-possessed, moms and dads are screaming, the, the, the people are coming from Jerusalem. Everybody's crazy in Mark's gospel. And Jesus is like, he comes with this gravitas, and he's just like, kind of gets the lay of the land. Then he takes care of business. Then he moves on. That's you. 
The world is a crazy place. Everybody's shouting, everybody's blogging, everybody's predicting the end of the world. If we don't do this, vote for that, try this, spend on that, don't spend on this. We don't have guns, we do have guns. If we have health care, we don't have health care. Just you listen to all of it. People are crazy, right? They're just out of their minds, and nobody listens to anybody. And the conversation is about how you cannot have a conversation, right? So how are you going to break through there? That's the, how are you going to break through? How are you going to be different? Be church. You might try something that the, church, that the world is very bad at, which is loving people. I did last thing. I don't know if you saw the news last night. There was a woman who got trapped in a basement, older woman, seven-dish, faces all beat up. They're interviewing her. They stick the micro in her face, which is never going to go well. And she says, I don't know why it takes a disaster for people to turn out and love each other like this. I'm like, that is exactly right. Because, here's the thing, it shouldn't take a disaster. This should be your normal course of events. So when I see old Steve Chester, you know, give me the right of way because he's got he knows I'm trying to get to church and not have the train come. He's already on the good side of the tracks, you know. I mean, I'm, it warms my heart in like seven different ways because I'm going to make it on time and Steve is going to help somebody. Why does it take a disaster for people to love each other like this? This is the whole point. The disciplines would say, you don't need a disaster because you know what? You wake up every morning, if you're breathing, if your heart's beating, then your response is to love other people. And you're, as long as you do it within the boundaries of Jesus, within the image of Jesus, you're not going to sell it out and it's going to be okay. Judgment comes easily. When you need it, it'll come. The harder thing is to love, so let's work on the love. That's the point. Okay, got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, not next week. Take a week off, have fun, go out for French toast, then I'll see you the week after. Cheers. Cheers.